Welcome to AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council, with your hosts, Steve Zylstra and Karen Nowitz. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites leading experts to have real conversations about what is happening in the tech sector across the state of Arizona. From regional news to innovative startups, companies, and emerging technologies, AZ TechCast covers the critical issues and economic trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. From facial detection to taser technology, a variety of public safety technologies are being deployed and developed to reduce risk and help law enforcement officials make more informed decisions real time. But how can these technologies be implemented most effectively to produce more equitable outcomes, particularly for communities of color? Welcome to AZ TechCast, sponsored by Arizona Technology Council. I'm Karen Nowicki, president and owner of Phoenix Business Radio X, broadcasting live today from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcast monthly, AZ TechCast invites tech and business experts to have real conversations about what's happening across the state of Arizona. AZ TechCast discuss the critical issues, topics, and trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. So join me too, please, today in giving a warm welcome to our featured guest. We have Lauren Chuck, North American Public Safety Lead with Accenture. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you. So happy to have you. Looking forward to hearing from you. Jason Hartford, who's the Vice President of Axon Devices at Axon. Welcome, sir. Thanks. Great to be here. Likewise. What? That's a phenomenal background. Where yeah. Where are you zooming it's, in from? Well, you know, we are a forward-thinking technology company, so some of our backgrounds reflect that that futuristic uh, appeal. Yes. So chiming in from the moon today, apparently, <laughs> <laughs> or, or, a, or a satellite anyway. And with us as well is Gretchen Perry, Senior Director at Slalom. Welcome, Gretchen. Thank you, Karen. Happy to be here. And Robin Reed, co-founder and principal of Influent LLC, president and CEO of the Black Chamber of Commerce of Arizona, and one of our newest board members for the Arizona Technology Council. Welcome, Robin. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Likewise. And, and whatever that is to the, I think, to the right of you or maybe to the left of you, that looks like an incredible mural in your background. It's a, it's a fantastic painting um, of Ray Charles done by a local artist, Randy Hedden. Uh, he's a speed painter. He actually painted this. It's four feet by three feet. And he painted it in about five minutes, starting upside down, purely from memory. I've seen some of those, you know, kind of artists. Maybe it's even his artwork. That's phenomenal. I, I'm, I'm a stick figure girl. So <laughs> thank you. And, and great shout out to the artist. And and with us as well, of course, is Steven Zalstra. He's the council president and CEO for the AZ Tech Council. How are you? Thank you, Karen. I'm terrific. It's great to be here, and we've got some extraordinary guests today on a very important topic to all Arizonans. Absolutely. So we're going to we're going to jump into the conversation. We're going to explore how public safety technologies are evolving to prioritize excuse me, prioritize social and racial equity. We have a lot of interesting content, as Steve just mentioned, so let's dive in. And I'd love to start, if we could, with like we do with every episode, um, giving each of you an opportunity to introduce yourself, the role that you play, and of course, the role your organization plays on behalf of our tech ecosystem and, of course, public safety. Lauren, are you comfortable with me saying, you're going first? <laughs> 
I'm happy to go first. Thank you. Um, so as Karen mentioned, my name is Lauren Chuck. Uh, I've been with Accenture for about eight years, and I am our North America Analytics Lead for Public Safety. Um, I actually live in Minneapolis, uh, but prior to joining Accenture, I was a crime analyst for the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, um, and I come from a family of Minnesota police officers, so I didn't stand much of a chance uh, in getting out of this space. At Accenture, I've supported the delivery of public safety programs from state, local, federal, and international levels. Um, and today, I'm excited to be here to share some of the work that we're doing um, with my current client, the Seattle Police Department, um, who's experiencing some of the similar challenges that, that Arizona departments are going through right now. Within Arizona, we work as Accenture at the state, local, and county levels across health, human services, public service, and then uh, particularly to today's topic, um, we deployed the public services portal for the Arizona Department of Public Safety, which allows community members to receive access to public services quickly and easily. Glad to be here. Fantastic. Thank you, Robin. Can we have you go next? And then we'll have Jason up and finish up with Gretchen and Stephen. Absolutely. Uh, Robin Reed, I'm co-founder and principal of Influent. Uh, we're a corporate consulting and executive coaching firm. So we focus on helping companies optimize strategy, execution, and talent. Uh, in addition, I am the president and CEO of the Black Chamber of Arizona. Uh, and I think relevant to today's conversation, I also serve uh, on the Use of Force and Disciplinary Re Review Board for Phoenix Police Department. Fantastic. You're a busy man. <laughs> All right. Who's up? Jason? I'm Jason Hartford. I have been with Axon Enterprise now five years. I live in Scottsdale and part of a company that's headquartered, you know, worldwide company that's headquartered right here in Scottsdale. So I lead our connected devices business at Axon. That includes all of our body-worn cameras, our in-car camera system we call Axon Fleet, um, interview room cameras, and then a whole set of cloud and mobile apps that help manage these devices. Now, we're just part of one highly interconnected ecosystem. We have a very large enterprise cloud software group that helps our users um, make informed decisions, make them more efficient and effective. And then as well, uh, we build the Taser device, a non-lethal um, weapon for public safety. You know, and our mission is very straightforward. Our mission is to protect life. And in the last few years, we've really expanded that mission to include protecting truth. And, and that's all around increasing transparency, accelerating justice, and then building for racial equity, diversity, and inclusion. Great introduction. Thank you. Gretchen. Thanks, Karen. Hi, everyone. I'm Gretchen Perry from Sloan Consulting. We are a 12,000-person consulting firm with offices across the globe. In our Phoenix office, we serve our Arizona clients um, with about 150 consultants. We help clients with everything from setting their business strategy and technology strategy to the implementation of those projects. Um, one thing that's different about Slalom, we're a local model consulting firm, so our talent works and lives in the same place. And we're personally invested in, in our clients' outcomes. Um, in Arizona, we've helped agencies with their cloud journeys, with digital transformation of licensing and other processes, and also with COVID dashboards. My background is in law enforcement. Um, I've spent uh, 17 years working with dozens of police departments across the country. And at Solemn, we're working with justice and public safety agencies um, across the U.S. on improving policing operations and data-driven decision-making. So thanks for having me. Pleased to be here. Glad you're here. 
And I always like to give Steve Zalstra an opportunity to introduce yourself, of course, and the Arizona Technology Council. We might be silly to think that everybody who comes to our shows already knows who you are and the organization that you serve, but let's uh, let's pretend they don't know. <laughs> who are you, Stephen? Uh, Steve Zalstra. I'm the president and CEO of both the Arizona Technology Council and our foundation, the SciTech uh, Institute. The Tech Council is a statewide trade association representing around 750 member companies. I'm happy to say all of our speakers today uh, are with member companies. So uh, thank you and welcome to you all. It's it's great to have you here. The Tech Council uh, does really four things. We we do public policy advocacy, so it's a very busy time of the year uh, for us. We're working down at the legislature. I had my policy committee meeting this morning. Uh, we do about 150 events uh, a year. Uh, had an after five last night at PADT. We have a, an array of publications and reports that we do on uh, what's going on in the industry. We save our members money by negotiating lower cost products and services on their behalf. So a comprehensive trade association uh, business model serving technology-based businesses across Arizona. And by the way, the DEI aspect of today's discussion is really important to the Arizona Technology Council. It's an area that we focused a lot of attention on. Uh, it's important to our industry. And uh, so I'm so happy to have these experts here today to share with us what's going on in public safety and how DEI plays a role. I'd like to tag on to that. Having uh, so many business owners and executive leaders come through the doors here each week at Phoenix Business Radio. We've had DEI conversations oftentimes uh, off air, right, or in the boardrooms. And I'm so pleased consistently. I'm I'm hearing and I'm seeing that that we are now forward-facing. And this is a conversation that we are really, I think as Arizona leaders, making a, a positive impact to be very inclusive and, of course, be be here for our community. So thank you for modeling that and giving us an opportunity to have this conversation as it relates to today's topics. With that in mind, let me start with the first question and prompt. I also acknowledge that, you know, not everybody may have something to chime in depending on what portion of, of, of this conversation you represent, but please just jump in and, and, uh, and chime in when, when you feel that it's appropriate. We like to do it that way best. Uh, for purposes of this conversation, we're going to use the term public safety technologies to define technological innovations that are helping law enforcement officials make more informed decisions, again, in real time. So with that in mind, what public safety technologies are each of your organizations or your clients cur- currently developing and deploying to achieve this objective? And I'm just going to leave it open and, and let y'all jump in there. I went first the first time, but I'm happy <laughs> to go again. <laughs> you own it. Go for it, Lauren. Thank you. Great. Well, at Accenture, um, along with our clients, we're developing custom reporting and analytics solutions that help them consistently report on department operations uh, to support trust and legitimacy. So being able to have access to clear and clean data uh, to help them understand the things that the department are doing um, and also leveraging technology to reduce the manual time that's spent on tasks. I think it's not a secret that you know we're losing people to technology in some ways. And so we want to do that smartly and help them find the areas where it's okay to do that and the others where it's not. We're helping them understand how best to deploy their resources based on operational needs. And then we actually even take data from Jason's company, Axon, uh, to help understand how we're doing to following policy, right? So with particular incidents, we would always expect body camera or dash cam footage to be there. Uh, and we use analytics and reporting to, to be able to understand you know, how, how that's happening. 
I'll piggyback on what Lauren said. Um, we're seeing a lot of investments right now in different tools and technologies, and they center around application modernization, um, data integration, right, and data automation, process task automation, and and we're really excited to see like all of our police agencies actually leverage some of these technologies that help reduce what Lauren was talking about, the manual processing, the duplicate data entry, the cumbersome um, and and time lags that that persist in some of our public safety processes. Um, And we're also excited to see automation applied at the data level. When we think about advances in intelligent document processing and other intelligent automation tools that allow us to take data and, and share it at its source, with other agencies. So really excited to see what's happening, especially as we can leverage technology to address some of the, the recent challenges with current labor shortages across, across the country and in particular in public safety. Um, and all of this to say that when we're talking with our clients, it's really important as they're evaluating different tools and technologies to start with the end in mind. What is the business objective that you want to accomplish? What is the business outcome that you want to generate? And then we can design the tools and technologies to get there so that we don't face, you know, kind of this unfettered sprawl that we see in some agencies where we purchase and implement a specific tool for a specific use case rather than thinking about enabling business capabilities across the enterprise. First of all, it's so encouraging to hear those those comments. And uh, this space is is one that's super challenging and, and we all know it, but it's a pretty exciting mission. And the fact that both of your work is about just allowing people to do the job that they want and helping them be more efficient, super exciting. So I'll talk a little bit about the back end that, that provides that data that you help use and organize. Five years ago, uh, I joined Axon and uh, first, first week found out that our next generation body-worn camera was going to have uh, LTE capabilities and bring us into real time. That same week, I found out that no one in the company knew anything about LTE, and uh, we had a hard climb to develop that capability in a short period of time. Jason, in in case our 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 listeners don't know what those three letters. Oh yes. Um, So I'll just say uh, a similar technology or a modem uh, that allows uh, you to be connected, um, just like over your cell phone, to a cellular network and transmit video, transmit audio, and voice communications. So our traditional workflow is very very much about compliance. Hey, I want to reflect that the work I'm doing is is above board and and it's transparent for the community and transparent for our users. When we introduced LTE, we opened up this whole, like, hey, this technology can be relevant to decision-making. This was new. And I think the big thing that stood out was when we were, sometimes you have a technology that's looking for a use case. In this case, we spent a lot of time with agencies and what was resounding was this concept of protecting the environment and protecting the community and really kind of having the users back. And not that you would be uh, intrusive seeing a live stream of someone who's recording but it was an opportunity for them to have support and situational awareness. Um, So we have an app that transmits real-time locations when one of our body-worn cameras or in-car systems are actively recording. 
And then it allows when you're actively recording for a user on that app to tap in and view a live stream. And so it's it's been super effective. It just helps get more eyes on the scene and efficiently deploy resources. And uh, yeah, it, it radically changed our business to think about what our technology has to be like in real time. And from that, I'll just mention one other technology uh, back to efficiency. We added AI elements to it so that we could do transcription based on the words that were spoken from the officer during these interactions. And because we have LTE, we could do transcription very quickly, take that content off the camera, put it in the cloud, perform transcription, and have it available for officers when they went back to their vehicle to start their report writing. And what we found is that in the studies we've seen is, you know, some officers are spending 50% of their time writing reports and not doing the jobs that they, they want to do and serve. So these are just ways we, we took a real-time technology and applied it to efficiency as well. Jason, a little bit of a follow-up question that we had Rick Smith, uh, speak the CEO of Axon, speak at our Actually, his avatar spoke at our CEO retreat. Uh, a couple. That's always of a lot of fun. Oh, I've it met was, the robot. It was really, it was really <laughs> cool. Um, you've been with the company almost this entire time. You know, you manufactured tasers, and then when you started getting into body cameras, you had to start storing all this massive amount of data, particularly the video. You know, you became sort of a cloud company, right? And you're storing massive amounts of data. Could you talk a little bit about that transition and the impact that it had on your business model and your organization? Yeah, uh, uh, you know, Rick is a visionary by design, our CEO, and um, he's he. Here we have this highly sensitive data that's incredibly secure. We we don't. There's no way to delete the content once it's captured. And it's secure all the way to the cloud. And then it's highly restricted in terms of who can see it, who can manage it, and how it's how it's used in throughout the you know, criminal justice system and really released publicly. So Rick's vision was: hey, it makes no sense to have these on DVDs and, and literally have a DVD department burning DVDs. And he said, we're cloud only. And we are going to operate in the cloud. And if you want to use our workflow, it's cloud-centric. And uh, we had a lot of naysayers and detractors and slow adopters. And even as we've grown internationally, there's huge data sovereignty rules. But we've managed those effectively. And, and that kind of long vision has helped us now. Like, no one can, ever, can think of an alternative. It's just so great to have it in the cloud where it's safe, secure, and uh, available to be pulled down and used when it's appropriate. Jason, I'll definitely say having body cams in the cloud was something that really opened the door, I think, for a lot of public safety agencies to be comfortable with cloud, where even five years ago, it was a challenge and a struggle to get them to kind of understand that this is safe. But as we've sort of changed as a society and demanding having that video, right, cloud is required. And so it's really definitely opened doors to be interested in other areas, right, that aren't just video um, that the cloud enables. So Gretchen um, mentioned some of the automation going on, and many of these technologies are automated, but they're also that are 
still require human uh, decision making. Can any of you talk about you know that differentiation between what you can automate, what's currently automated, and what still requires human interaction? I can take that. One of the things we're seeing is the combination of business and technology teams designing processes, implementing processes, the ongoing maintenance of processes. Um, historically, we've seen kind of IT, do, you know, the business defines the requirements, throw them over to IT, IT implements them. Um, but we're seeing the integration of artificial intelligence and human intelligence as, as when, when they come together, that's when we can affect real change. And so leveraging human beings to ensure that the model is achieving the intended objectives. Like we have to continually look and assess models to make sure that they're that they're achieving the outcomes that we intended. We also need human beings to re- review certain thresholds for data accuracy. Computers aren't going to, the accuracy is very, very high, but it's not 100%. So we have to make sure that human beings are reviewing decision paths and, and certain thresholds. And then also to, in the spirit of this conversation, to overcome bias, right? Disparity doesn't necessarily equal bias. So we have to look, human beings are needed to look at the data, understand the data, and see where do we need to address things in the criminal justice system or in our department that might be experiencing bias right now. Well, and as I've heard it said, you know, data drives change, but technology drives data. One one of the things that I see often uh, in the process of doing uh, disciplinary or use of force reviews is um, how valuable the body-worn cameras are um, because with the proliferation of cell phone cameras, um, we know the general public is giving us a wonderful view, but it's only from that perspective. It's from that side of the equation. Um, and so knowing uh, that, that today's body-worn camera technology can actually backtrack to before an interaction began, that it can track back, Jason, if I'm, if I'm correct, two minutes prior. Um, I know that, you know, I've reviewed several cases in which um, it's very clear. They'll tell you there's no sound here yet, but the camera turned on automatically. So we found that right blend between human interaction and technology, because obviously in the heat of a moment, um, expecting a human being to have presence of mind to turn on a device when they are focused on public safety, um, I think that's a pretty heavy lift if you, if you really want that to happen. So to have technology that automatically does that for you so that they can focus on the task at hand has made it really um, beneficial in, in, in the review process to get a very well-rounded and comprehensive view of a law enforcement interaction rather than simply from the perspective someone in the general public holding a cell phone. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that it's easiest to come to what I believe are fair and equitable decisions in those cases when we have a well-rounded, literally well-rounded view of a situation. That's great. So so great uh, lead in. I'll comment on some of those, what we've done around that. In the body-worn camera space, you know, you've seen it. Like, it's just tragic when those cameras aren't on when they should be. And, and we've we talked about a continuum. You know, first, we start with uh, policy, making sure that we work with agencies on model policies where, you know, our preference is the camera's on at the beginning of the shift. We make the camera very easy to use and operate to start recording and very deliberate to stop recording. With that policy, we've we have 
applications that actually monitor compliance. We call it axon performance. And it can help command train officers, hey, this you get a call for service. The camera should have been on within two minutes. Hey, let's talk through this. So it's a very constructive way to do it. But like you said, we recognize this in the heat of the moment, the last thing anyone's going to think about is making sure I double press my body-worn camera. So Axon Signal is a number of different technologies that we that automatically activate the cameras, whether it is you're in a, a vehicle, you open the door, or you turn on the light bar, or you hit a certain speed, it's going to automatically activate the cameras in the vehicle and on the officers. Um, we also have a, a device, Axon uh, Signal Sidearm. It's a sensor that's placed on a holster. So if you draw your firearm, it's going to automatically trigger cameras to go on for the user and users around them in close proximity. During the last two years, as you can expect, it's been pretty transformational for all of us and, and within Axon as well. In the fall of 2020, we had engineers who said, hey, I how can I really make a difference with what's happening around me? We shut down Axon for two weeks and we did what we called a sprint for justice. And we said, come up with ways that we can implement solutions that actually make a difference right now. And one of those was called video recall. Now it's, it's still optional, but it allows a, a video to be as long as the camera's powered on to be running in the background. So that two minute buffer now is, could be the entire shift. Now we've tightly controlled that and made it very restrictive so that it respects privacy. But within a week of that being implemented, we had situations where there was uncertainty in a body-worn camera recording and an agency that turned it on literally within a week had an incident that the officer forgot to turn on his camera, uh, not, not turn it on, but actually start recording. And we had that, that video to be captured and, and used to explain what happened in the situation. So pretty transformational. I love what you said earlier around, uh, you know, that the need and the holes that needed to be filled and then finding the technology for that. That's my version of, of what you shared. But how how fantastic is that? Because we know there's a lot of holes that need to be filled and, and that's really uh, what all of, all of your organizations are looking to do uh, from that place of transparency and honesty and of course, you know, public safety. Uh, we have so much more to talk about. I'm ecstatic that we have uh, have you for another 30 minutes or so, but let's go to our first commercial, if we could please, and acknowledge Arizona Commerce Authority, who is the AZ TechCast 2022 Innovation Sponsor. The Arizona Commerce Authority is the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. Our streamlined pro-business approach helps you achieve more by putting less between you and future success. Less red tape, lower taxes, less distance separating you from the tech leaders of tomorrow. This innovative ecosystem will supply your business with tools and resources to compete in the 21st century and beyond. But your future is more than just business success. In Arizona, the lifestyle you want is at your fingertips. Explore cities known for their Southwest heritage and modern vision. 
Enjoy beautiful scenery and endless outdoor activities on land, water, or snow. And if you're looking for a little friendly competition, we've got plenty of teams to choose from. With constant sunshine, vibrant culture, and natural wonder, Arizona provides a style of living that's entirely unique. People from all over the world call our state home. From student leaders who fill the classrooms of our top-ranked universities to a skilled and abundant workforce that's ready for what's next. To the neighbors, friends, and peers we interact with daily, Arizonans are united by a pioneering spirit that moves us forward. So as you look to the future, know that it's filled with the perfect balance of innovation and high-quality living that makes life better here. I've been here since 1979 as a young eighth grader, and every time I hear that commercial, even though it's long, <laughs> it gets me excited and extremely proud about being part of Arizona. I don't think they missed a beat, didn't they, in, in how they describe uh, how fortunate we are to be here. So thank you for giving us an opportunity to give a shout out to Arizona Commerce Authority. Because this conversation is taking place during Black History Month as we do the live broadcast, uh, would you please share how your organization or your clients are working to achieve more equitable public safety outcomes, particularly within communities of color? Now, we've touched on some of it already, but let's see where the rest of the conversation goes with that prompt. Oh, I, I'd love to share this story. So, and, and um, Steve is actually part of a, 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 the Community Collaborative, an organization we created to uh, to bring together many of our community organizations, uh, just to share ideas, thoughts, and and um, and calendars. Oddly enough, um, but in that process, we also created a web series. And one of our first guests on the web series was um, uh, City of Phoenix Deputy Chief Sean Connolly and Executive Director of the Zion Institute, a uh, woman, Sean Pearson. And he told this wonderful story. So Zion is located in South Central Phoenix. Uh, its mission is to uh, work to end generational poverty among um, marginalized communities. So that's still going to be predominantly people of color. When we brought them on the show, it was impressive just to hear the financial commitment that the city of Phoenix had made to this organization and to their efforts. But probably the most impactful thing that I heard was uh, Deputy Chief Connolly said, we invested, we invested years in this community in building trust. And when I knew that we had moved the needle was I drove my car into the neighborhood and the kids ran toward the car, not away from it. And that stuck with me because that that's that real life progress that we're looking for. I mean, data is great. We got a lot of tech people on the, on the call and data is great, but data is only good if you can then track it all the way down to the people it impacts. Mm -hmm. And that that to me is, is very impressive when you see that when we're changing trust, when we're changing mindset. So that's one of the ways in which we're doing is we're trying to shine a light on those positive situations. I think that that's critical during these times that we don't find ourselves limiting ourselves to only hearing the provocative news, the volatile news, but that we're also putting forth the effort to seek out these other stories because they're happening with great frequency as well. That's a great story. I love that. I think one of the things that we're doing, and Robin, I think we touched on this on the, on the beginning, right, um, was 
using data, but having those actual outcomes, right, which I think is something that Seattle has been doing really well. And so I know we kind of go to the case study question, I think, um, later on, but SPD was put in a tough situation similar to some of the organizations in, in Arizona where they didn't actually have the data practices to say whether or not issues did or didn't exist. And so they spent the time and investment to actually put those data structures and those rules in place. So now they're able to ask uh, or to answer really interesting and innovative questions, right? Um, and so to the question about how we can apply equity and fairness across the communities, one of the use cases that they're currently exploring along with us right now is how do we identify areas um, or communities that are potentially over or under policed? Um, and so how can we make sure that the vehicles and squad cars that are spending time in particular areas are actually doing active work, right? How do we make sure that we aren't just putting people in certain locations when calls aren't coming in? Because that's something that I found has really led to, to communities feeling like they're being, they're being over-policed. And so actually using the data that comes in from GIS, matching it up with um, dispatch data to understand whether or not those things are happening, and then make meaningful changes if it is. You know, Lauren, I have a I have a question with that. That that fascinates me. I, I love data like that. It fascinates me, but you, you you almost have to be careful of getting caught in the chicken and egg, right? It, is the area is there lower incidents because there's greater police presence? You know, which which exactly. is causing which to happen? Um, exactly. do you, is there a way to drill that data down further where you're able to pull pull answers out that that create create greater clarity there? I think so. I think one of the things we actually are in a really great position with Seattle. And so um, all the work that we do is driven by we sort of refer to him as a mad scientist, um, but a research specialist. Uh, and so his name is Lauren Atherley. Um, and so one of the things that he does actually is brings in um, an academic presence from actually around the world uh, to help us understand those things. And so his team is able to understand crime trends, right, that are actually occurring previously. So if we do find an area that's like, hey, why are there cars here all the time? You can actually look at previous crime trends and say, okay, well, is that justified? And then what yeah. happens if we take them out? Do we have more calls coming in? We obviously don't necessarily want to see no calls coming in when cars are sitting there because well, right. then isn't there somewhere else that maybe you should be? And so finding that balance, you're right, is tricky and it's, it's not instant. It's a, it's a, a game of trial and error for sure. I love the question. One of the things we're trying to do too is to follow on to Lawrence is helping our public safety clients see their data as a strategic asset and see that creating that transparency and putting data sets available, making data sets available publicly, not only provides benefits by reducing public disclosure requests, but also that transparency alone creates better trust in community relations. So um, to bring that all together is really, I love Robin, what you said, because everything that we're trying to do from a business and technology perspective is to develop and maintain that trust. And it goes, it's the basic foundational aspects of trust, right? Transparency, accountability, communication, all of those things. So that brings up, a, thank you, Gretchen. That, that brings up a really interesting thing here. So on the corporate side, I see a lot of um, energy and effort being put into uh, DEI. One of the first things you have to do to really go on that journey is every company's got to take that first look inward. Right, you can't solve outside problems if you don't understand what's happening inside your own organization. Unfortunately, we've also created this monster called cancel culture that if a, that if a company acknowledges the results of that inward look, they're worried about being punished for it. Uh, we, I have a client who spent a hundred thousand dollars on a DEI audit, if you will. 
The audit came back. It was not favorable, but they didn't expect it to be favorable, but it was unfavorable enough that they ran analytics and algorithms on it and determined that if they went public with it, it would cost them another million dollars in market share. And so they didn't share it even internally, like a select few executives had it. So we can't can't create change if you don't acknowledge the problem that you're changing. How does that work in on the law enforcement side? So we've got this data, you know, I, I, you know, everything that happens out there isn't true, but everything isn't false either. How do we avoid that? You know, I told you so syndrome from the public of, yeah, we told you these things were happening. And because it doesn't become universal, just because you can prove it happened in zip code one, two, three, doesn't mean it's happening in zip code four, five, six. How do, how do we, how do we create that space? for the data to be shared constructively so that we can make the changes we need to make. I think that's a good point, Robin. It's like there is, and I know you mentioned you have a lot of police officers around you uh, in, in your life as well. And it's it's not always a culture that's open to change and open to acknowledgement of, of doing things differently. And so right. when we do find those things, you know, it's like, how do we understand them, accept them, and then change them and understand if the changes we're making, you know, are, are impactful. And it is definitely some of the, the tough conversations around the dinner table that have come up over the last few years, right? It's like, is, is the way that we've always done it really the way that we should keep doing it? It's also something that we don't typically associate with uh, business, but I believe leadership has to have courage. It's, it's, important. And by the way, they may have to make a significant investment yep. uh, because this is going to be critical going forward. And at the at the end of the day, stockholders, stakeholders, employees, other people are watching. And if if they're if companies are not doing what they need to do, uh, they're going to pay the price. Uh, in the longer run, I believe. So it does take courage uh, in the business community. And it's not, again, typically some, you know, when you think of law enforcement, you think of courage or military, you think of courage. But I think it's required in this this scenario. Jason, I hesitate to bring this issue up, but recently, you know, Taser has been in the news in a significant way because of the incident that we are all aware of. What are the things that... um, that Axon is doing to yeah. try to assure, you know, better and more equitable outcomes um, yeah, in, love- using your technology. That's great. And just listening to everyone, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about our journey and Robin's comments about looking internally first and having a customer base that, you know, you're, you're walking a fine line. And and we've done that for 25 years, you know, a a non-lethal weapon, you're walking a fine line if you, um, by just having a device like that. So we also have a large presence in Seattle. Uh, Our our Seattle office is at the base of Capitol Hill and between Capitol Hill and Seattle PD headquarters. So, you know, in early 2020, I'd be on Zoom calls. We have employees that live in the community and, hey, you know, let me go on mute because the sirens are too loud or, Hey, I think I'm going to have to drop from the call because there's too much smoke in the air and it's starting to hurt. The tear gas is starting to hurt my eyes. So it was very real. And in May um, of that year, we had a bunch of employees in our leadership team just start to brainstorm 
Like, how can we internalize this and start to make a difference? So I think I said at the beginning, our mission is to protect life. And we added these elements um, to about accelerating justice and also um, centering on racial equity, diversity, and inclusion. Our first step was we, we hired a VP of Community Impact, uh, Regina Holloway. She came from the Chicago community and had a long history of working with community and with law enforcement. And it was, it was so refreshing. And we, we did a lot of soul searching and looking internally. The next step was we created a community advisory coalition. And that was made up of you know, community members, equity-focused practitioners, non-for-profit, and then folks from academia. And then our product teams went and met with the, co- uh, the advisory coalition and we walked through what we were intending to do. And the perspectives that were shared, I mean, it was pretty transformational and uh, humbling for us. And I think the main output and it goes uh, back into some of my colleagues' work, is we put a lot more, you know, one of the first things we did was we focused on better data collection, accountability, investigation, compliance around use of force, and making sure that the telemetry of our devices and our software workflow, we could bring that to bear just to explain incidents more more fully. So, uh I just got an email yesterday where I saw seven major products all lined up for reviews uh, with the Community Impact Coalition scheduled all throughout 2022. And that's that's really exciting and humbling for me um, because when you sit in an office coding, you just need to bring the community in and you need to walk a mile so that you're making the best balanced um, decisions for everyone. Thank I you. think the, the data governance thing that you bring up is something that's that's so critical, at least that we deal with, right? Where none of these things that we're talking about from a technology and data perspective are, are possible if the data can't be trusted and isn't clean, right? So it's like as, as Robin sits on the board for use of force review, if you hand him a mess of data, it's like he's not going to be able to understand and trust that. And so we spend a lot of time making sure that we actually help our departments understand to match up, you know, that just those disparate data systems so that we can actually have an entire picture to, to be able to hand to somebody like Robin, right, who's on the review board to understand, you know, why, how did this call come in in the first place? What did the officer think they were going to? Did, were they told that there was potentially a crisis or a mental health um, situation occurring? Is that officer trained to handle that? You know, did they use force? Is it justified? And it's like before everything was sitting separately. And I think that's something about law enforcement that maybe the general public doesn't really understand is that there's a lot of systems and they don't talk to each other. Yeah, you know, Lauren, And Lauren, I'll add to that because I can tell you there have been situations in which the news portrays a situation completely different than the facts that I'm able to see. So situations mm-hmm. in which they're, you know, you know, general public often can tell you exactly how they think the officer should have reacted in a situation or wants to know why their gun was drawn when they went. But that's because the news is picking up the story five minutes into the altercation. It's not picking up the story from the 911 call, but I hear the 911 call. So I I understand that that they, they were being made aware that there was a weapon involved and there's a potential that somebody was was injured or harmed by a weapon. 
then there's now we can go to procedure, right? Officers are trained to behave certain ways under certain situations when they perceive a certain threat to exist. And so that that technology, when you start marrying all the technology, the 911 call being recorded so I could hear exactly what the officer was told, not what the news station thought they heard from somebody who isn't going to be named until later and all that. I'm getting the facts, right? And so I think that that, that's really, it it is very important when you are able to blend that data together to paint that full picture, because we know, unfortunately, we've created a society where the court of public opinion um, has a lot of power, even in the face of evidence that says it shouldn't. We've created that. So that's really powerful. Jason, I have a question for you. Obviously, we we know that that tasers. I'll use that as the generic name because I have no idea whether it was your product or not in in the recent situation. But we know that's not the first time we've had a situation like that, right? We had Oscar Grant uh, in Oakland years ago created the movie Fruitvale Station. Interestingly enough, I'm from Oakland. I used to go to that that Bart Station all the time. Uh, my best friend was a he's retired now, but he was an officer and he was the firearms instructor for Oakland Police Department. So when that was happening, I was getting real feedback internally. I do believe that 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 companies like Axon have gone to great lengths to make the feel, the look and the feel of, of a taser so unique that it should eliminate the ability to mistake one for another. In addition to, you know, one is worn crossbody, it's yellow, it's got a thicker, I mean, all the things that were being done to avoid the situations that we've seen happen at least twice. Any thoughts on, on if, if, are there other iterations of this that we can consider? Are, you know, my peer who's, um, is in charge of the taser business at Axon, the, the weapons confusion topic, they have taken that to heart and they're, they're making sure in our next generations of products it's very deliberate how they think, um, both physical look and feel, but also, you know, whether it's haptic like vibrations or or audible sounds. There's means to differentiate that are that are proof positive, and we we encourage like this crossbody where you wear it on the opposite side. It's it's very difficult to to be confused, but in the moment, I mean, we can all think about our personal instances in our lives where we don't remember like just we react and um and so it's super important to be to always be aware and thinking about how can i triple down to make sure that there is no weapons confusion we we want to be the non-lethal choice and when appropriate absolutely we our uber mission is to obsolete the, the bullet if we if we can be the first choice, and that that will come over time. It's a long journey, um, but weapons confusion is an area where we took all of those things to heart, and I I can tell you that they're being incorporated in the future generations. And we we doubled down on training, and um, you know making sure that uh, means that 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 officers have just in their training policies, encourage them. We need to let uh, Karen take us to uh, commercial. It's such a rich conversation. And of course, I 
I, w- I don't want to be a host. I want to be a, a panelist because I have so many things to ask and add, but we'll have to have segment two and three and four with all of you. Uh, on that note, please give us the opportunity to thank our 2022 Tech Advocate Sponsor, JDH Insights, a leader in coaching and executive development. JDH Insights is committed to helping organizations cultivate and leverage their most important and complex asset, their humans. Thank you, JDH Insights, for being our 2021 Tech Advocate Sponsor. A leader in coaching and executive development, JDH Insights is committed to helping organizations cultivate and leverage their most important and complex asset, their humans. Visit JDHinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. Excellent. All right, so let's talk about education. What Arizona educational institutions and organizations are helping train next generation leaders on how to responsibly use public safety technologies? How are they incorporating social and racial equity education into their training? And again, I just open it up to any and all of you. And I'd like to just add to that, um, do any of you work with academic institutions on R&D? that helps support your efforts in in developing the next generation of technology or practices or methodologies? I'll go with that one Well, while everyone thinks. Um, It's not local, I apologize for that, Um, but but from that that, um, perspective of of academia, uh, as I mentioned previously, our product owner uh, is obviously the director of analytics and research um, at, at Seattle, but uh, is also a professor I think, at Seattle University um, and then is also getting um, his PhD at, at Cambridge uh, for public safety uh, or criminology. Um, and so that network feeds into everything that we do for all the models that we develop, all of the experts and things like that, um, so that we're taking into account all of those things so it can feed back um, for operational needs uh, so that they can report back to the community that these are the steps that we're taking to make sure that we're doing the best we can every day uh, so that, that they accept that that trust back um, for, for the department. I'll um, jump in. We we have a cross-the-country relationship with, with academia. And, and as I mentioned before, different universities around the country that specialize in, in either public safety or this whole uh, area of uh, diversity and inclusion and just bringing insights. We've more highly engaged over the last two years. I'll call out one of my colleagues, uh, Carl Schultz. He joined us from another Arizona tech company. And you know, he's has an aerospace uh, background, highly technical. He brought his, he was a former lecturer at ASU and brought that ASU linkage back to Axon. So we have different practicums and different uh, relationships with ASU where we may give a group uh, a project to work on that is usually early R&D development. It might might be um, a hard technical problem that we're trying to solve. And we'll have both interns or these project teams work on, on projects that, that, you know, are, are, could turn into something and may not, but it's super valuable for those students to understand um, the questions we ask, the emphasis we put on foundational technology to help deliver solutions. And, you know, we run the gamut. I mean, we, we have uh, cloud-based software and, and incredibly technical cloud architects, real-time architects and communication architects, but also 
you know, the Taser is pretty old school electrical engineering, and we build that, you know, right here in Arizona. So I just call out ASU as a, as a, as a good partner of ours. I'll piggyback on that, Jason. ASU School of Criminology and Criminal Justice, they have their Public Safety Innovation Lab, where they're doing really interesting research on reimagining public safety and public safety models. And I just say, as we're looking at this industry changing, which has been pretty stagnant, the way that we provide public safety services has been pretty con- consistent over centuries. And But our calls for service are changing somewhat. And so we need to think about how do we get the right professional to the right call and reimagining how we address our public safety needs in terms of mental health calls and law enforcement calls and other types of disturbances is really important as we develop a model that's responsive to our community. You know, public safety, uh, go ahead. Oh, okay. I was just going to say, so I'm, I'm going to add to that, but from a slightly different perspective, I think, yes, wonderful to get our academic institutions involved on the technology side, but I don't think they can do that in a vacuum. I'm a firm believer. Community leaders, people that are embracing the technology relative to law enforcement, they should find their local police department and do a recruit experience. Go spend four or five hours feeling what it's like to live in, in, in a uniform, if you will, and encounter some of those things because your perspective will change. I, it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is. I believe your perspective will change. Even if your even if your outlook is to create technology, that technology will be based on life experiences versus what you can make technology do. We often create technologies that aren't practical. They're cool, but they're not practical for use. So I, I think we need to make sure that we we don't exclude the human component to it as well. That's great. That's a great point. A great point, Robin. In the beginnings when we were actually. Um, learning how to how to um how to count uh uses of force incidents and whether or not tasers came out um we realized that our team wasn't familiar with tasers and so you know we have a room full of data engineers and tech guys we said get up we walked down the hall to the um to the woman who led the um the taser training and she pulled it out and sparked it and they all backed up but it's like you need to know how it works you need to know what you're counting you need to know what one pull does or two. Um, and, and it is really important. And so it's not quite to the ride along level. I think we sent them on a couple, but that was a that was an interesting day to help them just see and understand what it's like. Well, public safety has always been a key issue for citizens and as a consequence for politicians as well. It's some politicians run on public safety, particularly at the local level, um, you know, in cities and, and towns. What else can law enforcement uh, agencies or even the private sector do to improve uh, public safety technologies or methods and the relationships with the communities, particularly communities of color? I'll jump in on this one. I, I talked about earlier our community, community advisory council. One area that we've invested in, it was in the works, but then when 2020 came, it became like so relevant. Um, and that's VR training. And we use our community advisory board and our product teams to create a ton of scenarios. So these are these are VR headsets that we've created the content in partnership with these boards and other members to really understand these situations where there's community encounters. And it, it's it's atypical. 
but it's a big part of their day. So it might be mental health, might be a suicide prevention. It might be a person with dementia. Understanding and it, you know, being in context there, that is so important for situational awareness and taking through a very immersive VR experience. This is one where we, we had a lot of support because training and equipping and putting someone in context where escalation could happen quickly and, and you have the opportunity to be trained before you're out in the field. And I, I, that's just been so critical. So our community advisory board has helped craft some of those scenarios and content so we better equip officers before they ever set foot out on patrol. I've actually done that uh, VR use case uh, of yours, Jason, at the, at the uh, gosh, probably two years ago now at the Axon event in, in Arizona. And it, it's, it's great. I mean, it, it changes everything in your perspective. Yeah, we, we have a whole curriculum now, whether it's, let's say we have an autism event or we have mental health or we have suicide with, with someone with a knife who's more interested in harming themselves and like, how do you react? And um, doing it with VR is, is a great first step because you can, you can get so many more repetitions in different scenarios. So. What a great use of that technology. Yes. Karen, you want to take us home to our final question? I, I will. Yes. This, again, has been just an incredible conversation. In closing, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, around the names of minority-owned businesses or minority-led Arizona initiatives that you admire that our listeners can consider donating to or otherwise supporting and getting involved with? Well, I'll come back to the one I mentioned earlier, uh, which is the Zion Institute, which is actually creating another um, organization within that called The Well. And it's really, again, it's commitment to ending generational poverty while at the same time creating greater sense of community. So the fact that you have a predominantly Black organization serving a predominantly Black community that is working hard to bridge the gap between law enforcement and people of color. Another one I would, I would recommend would be uh, Herozona. Herozona uh, is uh, or an organization that has created something called the Bridge Forum. Bridge Forum has been around for 20 years. They bring police chiefs from all over the country to come together to talk out issues. In fact, I think uh, about five or six years ago, I invited Axon, and I know they've been involved since then. Uh, but it's a great because we, we, we bring police chiefs in, and they talk openly about ideas for change. Um, so we know that there's that, that thought process is there. I'll finish with this last little bit. We just have to remember... We need to approach this as an initiative, not an incident. So instead of consistently responding to an incident that's in the news, let's make it an initiative so that we can stay on course. Thank you, Rob. I love that. I'll go, a couple that our Phoenix team mentioned, Community Legal Services is a crucial organization in the Valley serving marginalized communities. The Agnes Centers for Domestic Solutions has a unique approach that we admire to assisting domestic violence victims. And then the Arizona Community Foundation manages a great list of Black-led organizations to promote and support on their website. And I would just love to end with you know, all of this work to say, and I think you've heard it from all of us, is that the efforts we're, we're trying to, to create is to get the right information to the right people at the right time, but also to produce the right outcome. 
And, and that right outcome isn't always achieved. And so we have to figure out what are the other factors that create that disconnect from the right information to the right people at the right time to the right outcome. Lauren or Jason, any organizations that you want to give a shout out to and, and help encourage us to connect with? I'll go, I'll go ahead and let, and let Jason uh, have the Arizona plug at the end. So while we're not working directly with uh, minority-owned businesses, we do work with some of the local nonprofits in Arizona on volunteering to create pathways uh, to social equity and sustainable futures. Um, but one of the things that is in Arizona, but is also actually a, nat- a national initiative of Accenture, is the Black Founders Development Program uh, to help Black entrepreneurs advance, grow their technology business um, through greater, more direct access to, to capital, uh, mentorship, strategic connections, uh, business partners, clients, um, and, and all that's available um, online for specific parts to Arizona. And very quickly, I'll just add the AZ100 Club. So it supports all city, county, and even tribal public safety organizations. Um, what they do in particular is provide wellness training, scholarships, and monetary support to families that have lost a responder in the line of duty. Excellent. Uh, I just have made a list of all these organizations as future guests on Phoenix Business Radio. So stay stay tuned. We, we need to give the opportunity for them to share their wisdom and knowledge as well. Uh, incredible conversation clearly today. Um, I just jotted down a few notes. Of course, we spoke about honesty, of course, courage and leadership, uh, humility, right? There's that piece around humility to sometimes be willing to say, you know, the way that we've done things before isn't the way we need to do them now. I know Robin spoke as well about that. And then there's this piece around willingness, right? The education and the willingness to step outside of maybe, you know, our little area uh, to educate and and uh, raise a vibration for all of us. So incredible conversation. I want to thank you again for being with us. You've been listening to, almost forgot what I was going to say next, uh, Arizona TechCast brought to you by Phoenix Business Radio, of course, right here with Business Radio X. Today's AZ TechCast was brought to you by Arizona Commerce Authority, the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. So we thank you again, Arizona Commerce Authority. And many thanks as well to JDH Insights, the 2022 Tech Advocate Sponsor. Visit jdhinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. And if you're interested in being a podcast participant or sponsor for the Council's AZ TechCast, please contact marketing at aztechcouncil.org to learn about opportunities to further position you as a tech expert, influencer, and innovator. Again, I'm Karen Nowicki. Thanks for listening, and we'll hear you and see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of AZ TechCast with Arizona Technology Council featuring leading tech and business experts that help influence and shape our great state and the industries they serve.